0: Hello, and welcome to the Heart Failure Beat. This is a monthly podcast featuring interviews with authors from the Journal of Cardiac Failure. I'm Dr. Eileen Sheesh, a heart failure transplant cardiologist at Cleveland Clinic, and I'm happy to be bringing you an episode in our bonus patient series, which puts a spotlight on heart failure care for patients and caregivers. Today's podcast is talking about diet and exercise for patients with heart failure, and I'm very lucky to be joined today by Kim Bischel, who is a heart failure nurse responsible for keeping our patients out of the hospital. Kim, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, you do such an amazing job at the Cleveland Clinic, keeping our patients out of the hospital. I want to know when you meet a patient for the first time with heart failure and we need to improve their diet, what do you recommend? Well, that is a loaded question, so I'm going to try to keep it as brief as I can. I
1: personally think that following a low-sodium diet is one of the more challenging lifestyle changes that's required by patients to manage their heart failure. It is important, though, because it's a low-sodium diet. It can help you prevent other heart problems, and it helps you control your symptoms by minimizing the amount of extra fluid around your heart, lungs, and legs. There are many recommendations that can be provided to improve your diet, but for the purposes of today's discussion, I'm gonna tell you my top four recommendations. The first thing that I recommend is to keep your salt intake less than 3000 milligrams per day. Now this is the recommended daily allowance for a patient that's been diagnosed with heart failure. However, I do wanna let it be known that it may be less depending on what your healthcare provider suggests for you because it is a little bit individualized based on your heart function. I feel like the majority of our patients here at the Cleveland Clinic, we advise them to consume less than 2,000 milligrams of salt per day. And the second thing I recommend is to get rid of your salt shaker. Just throw it out and do not add any salt when you cook. These are two simple, quick and easy things that you can do right off the top and then you're not adding extra salt to your diet. Following a low-salt diet is much more than just adding salt to our foods. Salt is hidden in the foods and as well as the drinks that we consume. Therefore, I think the third thing that I would recommend is to discuss your food and diet choices with your health care provider. If you have a new diagnosis of heart failure or you're struggling to identify foods that are low in salt, it may help you to do a, what I call a food and drink assessment. This might include you know, tracking what you eat and drink for three to four days and writing it down and then discuss these choices with your healthcare doctor because sometimes i think it's beneficial because you may be consuming foods and drinks that are high in salt and not even realize it. Then the fourth thing i recommend and is sometimes the more challenging thing is to make sure you read those nutritional labels. It's important to look at the salt content written on the label. It's usually labeled as sodium and you'll find it in milligrams. And then another thing about the label is to pay real close attention to the serving size on the label. If the serving size says two and you eat that entire package, then you're going to need to double your salt that you're accounting for eating that or drinking that food. I do think overall following a low salt diet is doable and it's going to help you manage your heart failure symptoms. It just takes a little bit of education and a little bit of willpower. Dr. Shees, do you have any recommendations regarding? education on a low sodium diet?
0: No, I think what you hit on are the key findings. I mean, half the time people are unaware of the salt within the foods that they normally eat. So I think as you pointed out is bringing that awareness to the table. I think we all know what salt looks like so that we don't necessarily use a salt shaker. But I'm in agreement with you is it's actually, you know, getting used to looking at the labels and actually understanding them. How do you advise your patients, Kim, when they go out for dinner? What do you suggest they do? That's a very good question. I do think that
1: eating out can be a challenge, but it's very doable. And I think the best advice that I can give is that choose restaurants that offer fresh food choices. I do think that restaurants overall are getting better at offering healthy choices. And a lot of times, even if you just do a little bit of investigation on your own, you can find their nutritional content either on their website, or they even often have it printed at the local restaurants that you can ask for. And then just take a little bit of time in choosing what you're going to eat. And if you're having trouble deciding, a salad is always a good option. And you can ask for your dressing on the side because sometimes those usually have a lot of salt in them. You could also choose oil and vinegar, lemon or other flavored vinegars such as balsamic vinaigrette or raspberry. And there's always usually low salt choices at the restaurants. You just have to be mindful of what you're picking. You can also forego the croutons and bread that's often served on salads or bread is part of a dish that may be served because those are also higher in sodium or salt. Also to like be mindful of the things that are going on to salads like olives, pepperonis and lunch meats because those are all high in salt and they just add additional salt to your diet. Also, in a pinch, if you need to stop at like a fast food restaurant like we all do because we're all running around, choosing a grilled item over like a fried item is going to be the best choice. And also, you can ask them to please hold the condiments. Like ketchup is very high salt. And if you can avoid eating that, that's also going to give you a benefit to avoid that extra
0: salt. That's wonderful. Actually, I wouldn't have even thought about the ketchup And I think you kind of pointed out that what even seems safe on a salad is not not safe. Right. That When we load it with stuff that is actually harmful is still equals harm. So I think that's a good reminder. That brings up, you know, the next question, what are the most common mistakes and what do you avoid? What do you recommend avoiding? So I think I really like the American Heart Association. They created
1: this salty six is what they call it. And these are foods to avoid or limit for success in following a low sodium diet. I think it just helps to kind of help you remember things. So the first one on their salty six list is bread and rolls. Now, obviously this includes bagels, flour tortillas, and wraps. And just keep in mind that one piece of bread can have an average of 230 milligrams of salt. And while that doesn't sound like very much, if you eat it at every meal, it's just adding up to kind of get you to, if we are on that 2000 milligram per salt day restriction, we're going to get there fairly quickly if we're eating bread and rolls at every meal. The second item on their salty six list is canned soups. There's also other canned items such as beans or veggies. You know, Those are loaded in salt because they're using the salt as a preservative as well as to give it flavor. So it's always best to eat fresh or frozen veggies or homemade soups. Homemade soups, there's actually a lot of great recipes out there for low-sodium soups. The third thing on their list is cold cuts and cured meat. So that's not just ham or bologna. That's also turkey, salami. All of that deli meat has high-sodium content. There are choices out there, though, for low-sodium deli meat. You just have to make sure that the low-sodium deli meat is truly low-sodium then obviously pizza. Pizza is number four on their list. And we all love a good pizza, right? I love pizza. But you have to remember that there's salt in the dough, there's salt in the toppings, there's salt in the cheese. And on average, one slice of pizza can contain up to 760 milligrams of salt. So if you eat two, that's over, that's almost half of your sodium allowance for the day. Then the fifth thing on their list is sandwiches. And then we kind of already touched about, you know, the lunch meat and the cold cuts. So that's already a high sodium item. And then we're adding bread, and then we may add cheese, and then we put a condiment on that. So an option to that, if you're a sandwich lover, is maybe try eating half of the sandwich and then pair it with a salad and a low-salt dressing, and there you have your meal. Then the sixth and final thing on the American Heart's Salty Six list are burritos and tacos. And as I mentioned earlier, there's salt and flour shells and tortillas. Then you, again, you start to add all those toppings and it's just increasing the salt intake. And a simple burrito with just meat and cheese could easily contain over 1,300 milligrams of salt. And that's like, again, that's like half of your almost half of your daily allowance in one meal. But the nice thing about many of these items, you know, there are low salt alternatives. There's plenty of low salt recipes that you can find on the internet or you can purchase a low salt cookbook if you're old school and like to read those cookbooks. And if you do a little homework, you can certainly find things that you still love to eat. It's just a little bit of moderation. And we all make mistakes. I do always like to point this out. We're all human and we make mistakes. But I think the most important thing you can do is if you knew that you ate a very salty meal and you know that you're over your quote unquote daily allowance and you start to have symptoms, then call your health care provider, talk to them and kind of explain how you're feeling and what you ate. And then that way they can work with you to help you feel better.
0: Kim, that was absolutely wonderful. I always say to patients that if it appears easy, it's probably not good. And I'm very specific about anything canned, and that's what I refer to as easy, things that you just purchased and they're canned. They're usually preserved in salt. That's why bacteria do not grow. And the same is true with frozen food. Even though occasionally you can find frozen food that is not preserved in salt, most frozen food is also preserved in salt. So I I usually say anything canned or frozen are usually bad choices. And what you just said about making everything yourself, that's what I refer to as the hard part. And I think that that really prevents actually you having a high salt diet. Do you agree?
1: Oh, I absolutely agree. If you can make it, that's best because then
0: you know exactly what's going into it. Okay, so we're going to switch gears, we're halfway done with our pod, and I'd like to actually focus on exercise, so what do you advise?
1: Oh, I think exercise is great, but I do want to say this right off the top, it's important that you talk to your healthcare provider before you start any exercise program. He or she knows you best, they know where you are in your heart failure journey and kind of what you've been going through, so it's always best to discuss your anticipated program with them. But you know, exercise alone or even simply increasing your activity can provide many benefits. It not only helps you physically, but it also helps that emotional health as well. I mean, let's face it, we all know that heart failure is very hard and it can be very, very frustrating because you can't do the things that you are used to doing. You know, your activities of daily living sometimes are even, you know, a task for you. Um, and you start to feel sad and depressed over that. And that's completely understandable. But I think activity or exercise can help you feel better and not only helps your heart function and it can hopefully decrease some of your symptoms, but you'll start to build strength and maybe even build a little bit more confidence and feel better mentally. I do recommend that if you start slow and you exercise at the time of day that's best for you. So if you wake up in the morning and that's when you feel your best, then take your walk or do your little exercise routine. And then throughout the day, if you're tired, you listen to your body and you rest. There's also a wonderful thing called cardiac rehab. And there's a lot of cardiac rehab programs out there for eligible patients. And the nice thing about cardiac rehab is it's monitored exercise by a trained healthcare professional. And it's a great way to get started if you haven't exercised for quite a while. However, though, sometimes your insurance will not cover those programs because you have to be in a certain disease progression of your heart failure. But so it's always best, though, to check with your insurance company and talk to your healthcare provider about regarding the programs in your area.
0: That is absolutely fantastic. And I agree. You know, often patients will say to me that they don't need a structured program. And I know you just mentioned they're very important. A lot of times they'll say, I don't need it because I could do this at home. And so I think that there's so much more to be learned about the benefits of cardiac rehab. So why would someone go to a structured program rather than just doing it at home? What are the other benefits? Oh, I agree. I think there's a lot of benefits to cardiac rehab. I
1: mean, not only, as we mentioned, it's your exercise is monitored. So they're monitoring your heart rate, your blood pressure response during exercise and after exercise. But they're also, it's a great opportunity to provide additional education and management of your heart failure. They're very knowledgeable. They can give you tips on lifestyle changes that, you know, often somebody struggling with heart failure requires diet education, just like we've talked about. They're great resources. And also, too, there's also the social piece to it. I mean, if you go to a structured rehab program, you have time to chat with, you know, individuals that are going through the same struggles that you are. So you're getting a double whammy, you're getting the physical benefit of it, as well as the social piece of it.
0: I really agree. I think that that's something that we underestimate that how much more people gain from going to a program like cardiac rehab and the social piece is very important because you often feel alone and uh, why me is, you know, right. you realize there's a lot of why me's out there mm-hmm. and then you realize it's okay, we're going to fight through this together. Thanks so much for being here today. You were absolutely wonderful. You've kept so many people out of the hospital and done a great job. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Sheesh. Well, thanks, everyone. Please stay tuned for our next episode of the Heartfire Beat.